welcome to the Grasping Life Podcast. I'm your host, Lane Kimbrough. I just graduated from George Fox University, and I'm on a journey to become the absolute best version of myself, and it's inspired me to start this podcast to speak to exceptional people on all areas of life, mindset, purpose, faith, and so much more. I'm really excited you're here. In this season, I speak with eight stellar George Fox University 2020 graduates on their unique backgrounds, time at George Fox, mindset about life and faith, and how they're approaching the future. Thank you so much for joining us. In this episode, I speak with recent George Fox grad, Drake Dawson. Drake blows me away with his huge heart for both serving the Lord and the people he's around. He's starting as a nuclear engineer this summer. Wow. He's a light to so many, and I'm blessed to call him a dear friend. Every time I speak with Drake, I feel even more encouraged to pursue the Lord and to let the Lord pursue me. This conversation is no exception. I really hope you enjoy. So today for the podcast, I have Drake Dawson on the line. Uh, Drake is about to graduate from Fox as well. He's an engineer. He's got a sick job lined up up in Washington. He is just someone that I have really been blessed to know deeply the last year or so. And Drake and I's conversations usually we revolve around anything about life, faith, um, relationships, where we're, what we're thinking about in the future, where we're headed. And we just have a unique friendship that I'm super grateful for. So Drake, thank you so much for being on. Yeah, dude. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to this one definitely for a couple of weeks now. So we are recording on April 22nd right now. So about a week and a half away from graduation, graduate on May 2nd. And so mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to start, we've been going to George Fox together. We've both been there for the last four years, but you're not originally from Newburgh and you're not originally from Oregon. And so I would love just a quick background, like where you grew up and what led you to Fox. Yeah, dude. Um, where I grew up is kind of a tough one. I was born in Ellensburg, Washington. Lived there for a couple of years, but don't remember a whole lot. Moved to like Monterey, California and the Bay Area and a couple different cities around there. Um, around second grade, moved down to San Diego um, and lived in San Diego County. But again, all sorts of different cities um, down there. In eighth grade, moved up to uh, the greater L.A. area up north in Malibu and spent three years there. Then moved out to Texas, finished up high school in Texas, and then uh, came to George Fox. And kind of what drew me to George Fox was that I, man, how do I even start? Um, I think I was always like drawn to excellence in different things. And I think growing up, a lot of times that was that was sports, but I suffered quite a few injuries during my high school sports. And so my, my focus shifted to, to try to do more academic things in my, my later high school career. And so I really started looking at some of the big prestigious engineering schools because I was touring a bunch of colleges and I asked like, what are the hardest majors? Because I just want to pick something that's going to challenge me because I wasn't challenged a whole lot in like high school. And I was consistently told that nursing and engineering were the hardest things. And I was like, I don't think nursing's for me. So I think engineering is what I'm going to try. So I started applying to all the good engineering schools, got into quite a few of them that I wanted to, and actually got offers for full rides for most of them. Um, or some of them like 
Stanford is uh, a school that if your household makes less than a certain amount of income, then it's free for you. Um, so cool stuff like that. But I was sitting at the table with my dad and I was like, dude, I love the idea of like going to be a, an engineer and being challenged academically, but I don't know that I'll be anything more than an engineer if I go to these schools that I've been applying to. And that's, that's really hard on me. And I had applied to George Fox and Cal Baptist and I want to say one other Christian university. And my dad was like, well, that's the advantage of a small private school, but it's probably going to be a lot more expensive and um, it's going to be just a different experience. And while we were sitting at the table, George Fox called and offered me a scholarship and was like, hey, we want to fly you up here and, and have you come check out our program a little bit more. And so I did. And the first guy to tour me around happened to be the dean of the College of Engineering. And I couldn't get light a day with uh, a professor, let alone the dean at the other schools. So I was just deeply impacted by um, the intentionality and the personality of, of George Fox. And, and that's what drew me in. That's super interesting. So I'm curious, what do you mean by anything more than an engineer? You're afraid of not being more than an engineer at other schools. Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's very easy to get tied up in your achievements so much that like your career or your field of study or, um, your lifestyle, there's a whole lot of things that can take over, but like that one individual thing can, can kind of run the show in your life. And so for me, I think it would be very easy for me to be an engineer and be a a darn good engineer too. Um, but to be so focused on being an excellent engineer that being a good friend, being a, uh, person of devout faith, being, um, being more than just doing, I think, I think that's the balance is being more than doing. And where does, where does that stem from? Because I think it's so easy to think about school that you want to focus on career and that's kind of the point we go to college, but where do you, where do you begin thinking about, okay, it's more than just being an engineer. It's about being these other things as well. Sure. Um, I would say where it stems from, like where, where the root is, uh, was like I mentioned high school, I was a big time football player. I played soccer and baseball and uh, a couple other sports too, but football was like my main sport. And so freshman year, I made the varsity team and was really excited to play, got a knee injury, but like, didn't really check it out. Um, Fast forward to the end of my high school career, I couldn't play my senior year because I had had six knee procedures and wasn't able to walk. I was in a wheelchair for a couple months, crutches for a couple months more than that. And it was like this this wake-up call of like God telling me, hey, dude, your identity can't be in your athletics. Like that, that's not who you are as a person. And there was a moment where like I was uh, very like – liked person at my school because of my athletics to I couldn't play anymore. And like, nobody wanted to hang out with me And this like one day to the next transition. And so I think I realized then that like, I hadn't spent as much time as I had liked caring for people. I had spent more time trying to do things and like build up my achievements. And so I never wanted to do that again. And I think the whole time along, like the only thing that stood at the end of that 
uh, let's call it a tragedy, was my relationship with Christ. And so that's the thing that I leaned on. And that's the thing that was like the solid foundation beneath it all. And that's the thing that got me connected back into community and got me excited about sharing the test and testimony and got me just like excited for life again. So that's super interesting. It kind of, it's interesting. You say it goes back to your relationship with Christ, especially during difficult times and something we've talked about. And I didn't really know a whole lot because we weren't as close this beginning of this last year, but you said that this last, you know, February, 2019 to around February, 2020. It's like that kind of that 12 month period was pretty difficult for you yeah, with certain kind of bigger things happening in life. Yeah, And I'm just curious, I mean, quick, like walk through like what, what was happening. And then also how did you keep coming back to Christ? Because that's such a beautiful thing. That's, that's always stuck with me. For sure, dude. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Um, yeah, the, the long and short of it is, yeah, that like February to February, you nailed it. That, that range was probably like the toughest year of life, uh, for a couple reasons. The first of which was one of my really good friends, um, who was someone who I had, uh, started out kind of mentoring, but then had just become a companion to me. Uh, he was my roommate for a while and then ended up when I moved home in the summer, he moved in with us and was really under our care. And, um, we just had a, a beautiful friendship and, um, he was just not in a healthy place himself and, uh, realized that, but made some poor choices and really hurt our family and, and then chose to just walk away from our relationship one day to the next. So losing someone who was kind of like a best friend, that was tough. Um, and then just a couple months later, the fires, like the Paradise Fires down in the, the L.A. area, burned down uh, where my family was living. And so that affected my dad's business. My sister literally like got out with her car and a backpack, but her whole house and like apartment, they bulldozed the ashes like there was nothing left. Um, and our family lost a lot of like uh, physical monetary wealth there, but got to grow closer to one another in that. And then kind of on the tail end of that, because that was that was happening in like October, November. Um, in December of last year, um, the I was in relationship with someone. And had been engaged for eight or nine months. And that young woman's family um, was just struggling. And so even though we had gone to spend Christmas with her family the last couple of years, we decided that that was best to do again. And so I flew out uh, to be with her for Christmas and realized just some of the... Um, the need of her family. And she felt like it was her place to be with family instead of be with me. And so she broke off our engagement not long before the wedding and, um, was, was just moving in a different direction than I was. And so experiencing all those things simultaneously, like a lot of loss was what made it challenging. I think it's interesting because people often ask like, how did you, how did you like remain faithful? 
But to me, the way I see it is like, that's all I had left. Um, so many of the like strings of community that I had were cut. So much of our like, um, worldly treasure was gone, but our earthly treasure was stronger than ever, you know, of like, um, the presence of God felt so much more tangible. Our need for him felt wonderful. I think what's more challenging for me is when I don't feel like I need God. When I feel like I'm in a season where things are going well. And so that's like when we, when we read James and he says, consider it all pure joy. That's like, that's the, the heart of it is um, when we face many trials it's not that the trials are good or that we should be happy. Like we lament these things and we cry out to God, but we have a reason to cry out and we know that he hears us. And that's the beauty of it all. Um, I think more so than uh, saying like, it's me who has done anything. I would say like we serve a God who's ever present and um, who draws near in time of need. And so that's that's a gift that he gives us more than more than one that we give him. Hmm. That's a really interesting perspective. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing too. I know that's um it's not easy to be vulnerable and share that. So I definitely appreciate that and I've always appreciated that about you is that you're willing to kind of dig at things and get into them and share them. And so thank you for that and I think it's super valuable. It's funny you mentioned that it's been harder for you to lean on God when things are good. And so I just, I would love to hit on that because I think you're 100% not alone in experiencing that. And yeah, I would just, I mean, what's, how's your perspective changed when it comes to that? And what, what do you think of and what are you intentional about when it comes to, yeah. okay, things are going well right now. What do you think of? That's a, yeah. So that's been, I think kind of my journey let's, let's like backtrack to the last question and like continue that story. So, uh, one of my deepest friendships, uh, is, is, is broken. We lost a lot of our monetary wealth, uh, in engagements cut off. So like another one, uh, probably, well, not probably the deepest relationship I have is lost. Now I'm in a place where I'm really close to God and I feel comforted by him and I feel cared for by him. And I'm looking forward to what's next in life. And that's like graduation, entering the workforce, all these things that are exciting, but sound pretty lonely. And so my response to that was, what is a type of community that is wholly committed to Christ and that seeks after him in times of good, bad, ugly, like whatever, um, and in that search, I found a monastic a monastic order. And I've, we've talked about that quite a bit, but I think that was kind of my response of uh, the idea of being a monk today is interesting because uh, it could mean like living on a parish and something like that. But um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I'm sure a lot of people who would listen to this would be familiar. He said that he thinks that the good things that are going to come about in the next generation are probably going to come about in some new type of monastic order and one that's not uh, reserved to like the desert, but one that's fully engaged in difficult community. And so I think that's kind of the thing I ran to and like put my commitment to. Um, 
And that challenges me because one of the things that marks uh, the life of a monk um, or a nun, or there's plenty of other like religious groups is something called a rule of life. And so uh, the, the core of it is you write out like physically write out and vow before God, like what you want to intentionally do to make sure you're seeking him in times of good and times of bad. And so um, that can look like giving part of your income. Uh, that can look like dedicating to certain prayer hours uh, with others or individually. Most time it's a mix of both. Um, it can look like trying to uh, have certain like criteria for hospitality that you're engaging in um, certain ways you're being creative with your God given talents to like serve in the church or serve outside of the church. Um, but like writing out those things and thinking about like, okay, Sabbath is a great practice. Let's take that one. For example, I think Sabbath is probably the most important practice um, that we need to recapture. And so it's like, what is the point of Sabbath? Sabbath is a time where we recognize that on earth we are going to face all these struggles, but in heaven and when we are with God, because I don't think heaven's necessarily a physical place, but just a closeness to God. In that closeness to God, we will experience utmost rest. So while we're on earth, we're going to lay down our toils for a day to say, God, we know that you will bring ultimate rest. And in the meantime, we will settle for uh, a presence that you give us that we can we can reach by uh, intentionally giving our attention to you. Uh, you. You can look at other ones like fasting. Like, why do we fast? We fast because we know that our spiritual food comes from Christ and we can only be fulfilled by him. So we fast because we know that there are some times that are good and we need to like create this sense of need. I think praying in the middle of the night's really good or praying for several hours on like a 24 seven prayer shift is good because it forces you to give up sleep and think about what your real rest is like rest with the big R that's God, you know, and think about, uh, what things are rejuvenating you. And sometimes that will reveal some of your own like selfish desire, which is really transformative. You can talk about pilgrimage, right? Of like, we want to travel from um, this place to this place. And it's a physical journey, but that short physical journey represents our life as a long physical journey that's in destination to someplace that's markedly holy or markedly sacred. You know, we will, we will put aside all of the work and busyness of life to say, Hey, I'm, I'm traveling this journey. And that, that pilgrimage is a reminder that the more important journey in life is the one towards Christ. So I think that's where these ancient practices come in that help us need God, even when things are good. And the thing that blows my mind is, is that people have been doing these practices when life was a lot harder than it is now. And I think maybe in a way they were doing that as a gift to say, hey, if you continue these things, like the the joy and rest that comes from them will never run out. Hmm. There's so many things I want to hit there. Uh, I, I do want to start out. I think that's, that is a great perspective, but it, it, 
for people that don't know what a monastic order is, like I, I had no idea what that was. Like I'd heard of it, but, and I was just blown away when I think I heard from Pam that she's like, did you know Drake's doing a monastic order? And I was like, what? I was like, I had no idea. And so just explain what that is and how you, how you came upon it. Yeah. So the order that I'm joining is called the order of the mustard seed OMS. And it's tied to an organization called 24 seven prayer. So I got connected to it because people who mentor me from my church are on the board and who are on staff for 24 seven prayer. And at its core, um, any monastic order will just say like, Hey, these are a couple things that we want to see happen in our world. And this, and these are how we envision those things happening. And then you just meet with other people who are dedicated to those things. And after you prepare normally by reading quite a bit and praying quite a bit and doing some writing and reflection, um, you do a period of preparation that's normally one to two years. Ours is 18 months. Then you vow um, to live out the practices. Um, so our practices are really simple. They are to be true to Christ, to be kind to others, and to spread the gospel to all nations. And so there are little, there are like some more specific ways that those work themselves out. But when at the end of it, that's all you're doing is saying, God, I vow to be true to you. I vow to be kind to others and I vow to share the gospel to all nations. So that's what it is at its core. And share some of those disciplines. So we've talked about this, but you take ample time to pray, right? Especially being part of 24 seven prayer. So correct me if I'm wrong, but the idea of 24 seven prayer is that there's always someone or some group that's praying for people, praying for the world, praying for nations, and there's really an emphasis in that, correct? Yep. And so explain how you've taken that. And it, tell me, is it kind of, do they recommend that you, you know, take this time to pray or do they say this is part of your training? I mean, how do they, how do they go about that and the time that you spend praying? Yeah. So they give us material to pray like it's not quite a liturgy, which is interesting because liturgy, prayer liturgy is just basically someone has written out a prayer. So it's like a poem and it, it's based on a certain scripture. It has scriptural based, um, but it's kind of where like the intellectual theological side of faith and the um, more charismatic, like spirit filled side of faith. It's where those two things meet. And so I think that's where like written prayer is really a beautiful thing because it's an art and a discipline. And so we get, uh, we have an app. It's not like monks are just super old school. Like it's pretty cool. We don't, we don't shave our heads. We don't vow to celibacy. We don't like do all these things, wear brown robes and funny sandals like that. A lot of people, there are orders that do those things and they're beautiful. Um, but Ours is like, hey, I'm going to wake up every day and and pray these prayers that we're as an order praying together. Um, and the orders, thousands of people across almost every nation in the world. So that's a pretty special thing to pray them in different languages for the people who are uh, directly in our lives. 
Um, and then we do have like prayer meetings where we meet like with coronavirus, there's um, morning and evening prayer watch. So like at 5 a.m. and 11 p.m., there's people doing like uh, prayers to start the day and end the day. That's pretty cool. Um, and then we meet uh, as a group to pray sometimes, not as like specific as um, the morning and, and nightly prayer hours. And then most orders have chapters. So like uh, we're starting a Portland chapter, which is the group I'm with, but your chapter will oftentimes have a prayer room and the prayer room will be normally tied to a church because churches own property and that church and chapter will work together to form uh, like a running 24 seven prayer time. So you can sign up for the same times every week. There are some times that are open every week and like new people can sign up for them. Um, but yeah, it's just a way to uh, pray for justice in the world and for mission that's going on to engage learning and say like, Hey, I'm going to learn about new scriptures, new um, forms of prayer. There's some creativity involved because like sometimes prayer is, uh, musically driven. Sometimes it's artistically driven. It, it's not always just like someone folding their hands, sitting in a dark room. Um, hmm. That's interesting. But, so, to so walk me through your individual prayer, because we talked about this, this was maybe last month or so, but how much you, how much time do you spend on average praying a week and like how much during one time period? Yeah. I find it really beneficial to pray for, like 30 to 40 minutes. Each person's different, but that's, I think that's about how much attention I have. That's like honoring to God. After that, I start thinking about all sorts of, it's not bad to let your mind roam during prayer. It's really beautiful. God wants to know all the little things that are going on in your life. And he wants you to bring those before him. But after about 30 or 40 minutes, I start getting too distracted with, with the, achievements or the the doing things in my life i think um hmm. my prayer though always takes this structure that's just something that i've learned from being part of the order we use an acronym that's called pray and so each of the letters stand for something p is a time that we pause and so we just like sit in the presence of god a lot of people really like to worship i have a little uh journal i guess it's just a little like notebook that i write poetry in during that time a lot um, sometimes I just sit, oftentimes I lay, it's a time to let your mind kind of roam and take inventory of what's going on. And then the R actually has, has two things, which is kind of funny, but, um, we do a time where we reflect. And so we say like, Hey, what's gone on in our day and, uh, what's going on in our world, what's going on in the church we're tied to in the global church. What are things that we can pray for there? And reflect always has an Old Testament scripture tied to it. Um, a lot of times it's something from a prophet, but it always has something um, Old Testament tied to it. Uh, I'm having a hard time thinking of what my other R is. Reflect and and rejoice. So the practice of rejoice is we take either a psalm or something from the New Testament. Um, sometimes it's a gospel. Uh, and we just say like, hey, God, we're excited about these things you're doing. 
we write down our prayers so then we can say, uh, these are prayers that you've answered and we really want to celebrate that. We rejoice in the character of God a lot of times. So it's focusing more on him than on the reflect section is more to think about like what's going on around us. And the rejoice is more to say, like, look at what's God, what God's done and how, uh, his character doesn't change, even though the world around us does that we see in our time of reflection. And then we go to a, which is the time that we ask. And this is actually normally the shortest time, but it's really fun to have prayers written out where we were asking for the same things um, for a long period of time, asking on other people's behalf, asking for things that uh, we want to see in the world for things personally that we want. And uh, we just lay those things before God. Most of all, just asking for his will though. And then the last one is yield. And so we just say, Hey God, we've spent time thinking about our world. We've spent time thinking about you. We've spent time asking for these things, but ultimately it's all yours. And the whole act of prayer is us trying to take what you've given us and put it back on the altar. So we yield to you and whatever your plan is. And we know that you are greater than us. So we just, we find a rest in the fact that uh, you are in control rather than us. And then that's the end of our prayer. There's a little like six lines that we say um, for our order at the end of most of our prayers. Um, it's nothing spooky, but we, uh, the, the ending prayer just, um, it goes like, Father, let me be true to you in every way. Um, Jesus, let me be kind to all those who I meet giving myself away to others and spirit lead me to the lost and help me proclaim the glory of Christ in all I do and say, amen. And then it's over. But yeah, no, it's, it's helpful for me to really see kind of how you pray because I honestly never got taught how to pray. And so seeing these things and seeing um, how long you do it. And so do you do this every day you try to pray? Yeah. Okay. And I'm a, I'm a morning guy. Um, so I do mine in the morning. It's interesting because biblically, um, like the Bible talks about days starting in the evening, like when work is done. Um, I don't think in America we think about it that way, but it's fun to say that like our day starts at 5 PM and goes till the next 5 PM. Um, so I kind of pray in the, in the middle of the day in in a sense, you know, by praying, uh, in the morning. So that's kind of fun. Mm, that's good. So I got, I just got to ask you because this is something I've struggled with too, is do you feel like praying every single day? That's a really interesting question. And I think if you would ask me that, even if you would ask me that a month ago, I would have said no. And I would still say, I don't feel like praying every day. I'm in a season right now where I'm just all about prayer and I need it. And I just, I, I'm eating it up. Um, but there are a lot of times where like my achievement driven, ambitious, like go getter, uh, millennial, like maybe transaction oriented brain is like, Hey, prayer is great, but you need to go do something. 
And so there's the majority of my time in this like time of preparation has been frustrated with prayer and I'm a good ways into it. I'm like six months away from like joining the order and still find myself um, in that place where I'm like, I'd rather be doing something a lot of times. I'll tell you the thing that impacted me most in that um, like frame of mind is uh, there's a little book called Punk Monk that talks about like what it means to be a monk in today's time. And in that book, um, Andy Freeman, the author, he writes this beautiful little statement that God always shows up when people make space for him. He always shows up in empty spaces of maybe a better way of saying that. And so prayer is a way of making empty space for God to show up. And I think that changed my whole mindset because like I came to, I came to uh, this monastic order thinking I could save the world. And through prayer, I realized how much I myself still needed to be saved. And I have stayed because I recognize how much my struggle is similar to so many others and how that struggle is actually the way that I can care for the people around me. Mm, that's interesting. So you, you kind of talk about making space and something that I've always thought was super interesting as well is your idea of presence. And it's kind mm. of a word that gets thrown around and we all say we want to be more present in the moment. Right. But you actually kind of have taken this to a new level. And so, you know, when we were first talking, you, you, didn't have a smartphone, you had a flip phone. And so like no ability to go on the internet, nothing like that. And you claim that it really helped you stay in the moment and stay present. Yeah. So you can just talk like how, why'd you decide to go from, I don't know, what, whatever you had, iPhone, Android to a flip phone. What, what prompted that? Yeah. Um, a whole lot of things prompted that. I think the, the short and long of it is, I could feel the like psychological attachment within a couple months of having a smartphone starting to form to this thing. Um, a book resource that's really good on this topic is called faith for exiles. Um, and it talks all about it's, it's about being a resilient disciple in what they call digital Babylon. And so Babylon's a really cool um, image. I guess it becomes kind of like a, an emblem for prosperity, for idolatry um, in the Bible. And so they form this idea that our Babylon today is, is smartphone. Um, I'll break it down in this, in this sense and then tell you about like what that practice was like for me. If I could describe God in three words, I think this is like a pretty, a pretty old school belief, but if I could describe God in three words, I would probably say omnipotent, omnipresent and omniscient. He's all knowing, he's all powerful, he's all present, right? And I think that's what our smartphones are in attempt to be. We want to be with everybody through social media all the time. We want to be all present. We want to have access to unlimited information at the at the touch of our fingertips, unlimited access to finances, unlimited access to 
knowledge. We want to be all knowing. We want to be all powerful. Um, and so I think that the smartphone is a way of like trying to play God in a sense and, and being more like God is a really good thing. And so there's this balance of like smartphones are a tool that can make us more like God because we are more able to be present with others and we're more able to share knowledge of Christ that we might not have on our own. But simultaneously, like that can get twisted pretty quick. And so I found myself at a place where I realized how powerful this tool was. And I didn't think that I had the capacity to to handle it. And so I chose for three years to not use a smartphone. And that was from my freshman, partway through my freshman year of college to uh, just about a month and a half ago. I switched now because I couldn't use Google Maps and I move in some place where that's important to me. But my phone now still has a lot of barriers on it. So I self-prescribe like restrictions on my devices so that it doesn't access some of the things that I think are, are a little bit too powerful for me. And so it's, it's not me saying like, Hey, I'm, I'm better by using a smart or a, a flip phone. It's me saying, Hey, this tool is really powerful. And my mind is so captivated by the education that I'm trying to get by the relationships that I'm trying to be in that I do not have ample time to spend with this device. I'm not strong enough to use this device correctly. So I'm just going to choose to cut that off and, and not use it. And so that's what it means for me. Um, it's just brought a whole lot of peace and a whole lot of joy to my life. And I think it's really developed uh, a lot more curiosity. I have to wait to learn things, a lot more patience. Um, when I'm standing in line, I'll pull out little note cards of prayers instead of like pulling out my phone and, and checking the feed or whatever. Um, it helps me be more aware of like in the prayer that I told you, we finish our prayer times with, it's like, um, Holy spirit, lead me to the lost and, uh, help me proclaim Christ in all I do and say, well, it's hard for me to proclaim Christ with my smartphone all the time. And it's really hard for me to recognize the lost when I'm kind of buried in that. Um, so it's, it's more of a practice of me saying, Hey, I'm not, I'm not quite strong enough for this thing. And I think that, uh, I can do a lot more good caring for others with, with my words that are maybe a little countercultural. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. So something that kind of goes off of this is you mentioned that whole idea of worldly treasure versus earthly treasure. And so, you know, when you lost your home, right, you lost that worldly treasure that people would think of, but you felt like through this whole period, you've gained this earthly treasure. Mm -hmm. And so how, just explain the difference between the two and how are you intentional about focusing on the worldly treasure or the, the earthly treasure? How are you thinking about that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and like everything in life needs to be a balance, right? I think that's part of the challenge. Um, even like as far back as Aristotle recognizes like, Hey, everything needs to be balanced. The Bible talks about balance a lot. And there's some, it's really powerful. It's really freeing. It's really liberating to say, Hey, 
we are a steward of everything that we have all of our possessions my physical being like my body i'm a steward of that it's not mine um romans 14 7 says no man lives for himself there's there's tons of scriptures that describe us as a, a doulos a bond servant in the bible where like we are slaves to christ and so that idea of stewardship is a really it's a mild verb or not a verb uh, a mild adjective for us um and the word steward means you care for something that's valuable but that's also not your own and so i think recognizing like hey our our worldly possessions are valuable really valuable they're powerful but they're only powerful so much as we are willing to give them up they're only powerful so much as we are willing to recognize that they're not our own to begin with and so we may be called to abandon them or to give them away we may be called to store them up and be responsible because there's not a lot of people who can be responsible and then bless others later in life there's this like there's so many options and i don't know that it's evidently clear um randy alcorn's treasure principle is really good uh talking about that i know tim keller writes on that topic and i've read some of his work too um and they almost have contrasting views of of uh or um uh dave ramsey dave ramsey would say like hey save like no one else and live like no one else now be frugal build up wealth so that later in your life you can live you can give like no one else so he says live like no one else now so you can give like no one else later but randy alcorn would say hey give everything you have right now because you might die today like you don't really know uh francis chan is another guy in that boat he's like don't pray for safety pray for god's will and for him to allow you to use your resources so there's like there's kind of both sides of the argument and i see both but i think more than anything we just need to take everything in our lives our gifts our talents our physical body our worldly possessions and we need to say hey god it's yours anyway i'm gonna put this back on the altar and you're gonna bless it again and and we're just going to see where this goes. It's hmm. a good perspective. Yeah, thank you. Um, you strike me as this very grounded person in your faith and your values, and it feels like you're living out a mission. And so, just can, can you walk me through? Do you feel like you label it like a mission-driven life, or does it all just stem on you trying to create a relationship with the Lord? Uh, I think, well, that's like the, the whole idea of like, no man lives for himself. Like I was talking about Romans fourteen seven. it's like, mm-hmm. uh, I think everybody lives for a mission. I even say this, I'd say that every person does what they want most. Your actions are solely based on what you love. Like, let's say someone, someone does something terrible. Someone murders someone, right? And they're standing on, on trial and they say like, I didn't really mean to, I could buy that if they have like a psychological order. But if someone says I didn't want to kill them, then 
the question is, what did you want more than that? Because I think we will always do what we want most. So all of our actions stem from what we want most. Um, another, another book, I know I just like spout books, but I think that's like where uh, so much of my perspective is just wiser people have come before me. Pete Gregg writes The Vision and the Vow. Um, and in that book, he talks about like the vision is obsessively, undeniably, dangerously Jesus Christ, nothing else. And he kind of like has this ethos that's almost like it makes you like feel like you're going into battle of like the the vision is is Jesus and how we get there is not easy. But I would say everybody lives a mission driven life. Everybody's a, a disciple to something. I just chose a guy who lived 2000 years ago, who lived a life that, wow, it, it cared for so many people that if I could do anything, it would be to, to care for people like some guy 2000 years ago in the middle East did. So that's all, that's all I would, it's as simple as that to me, I think. Yeah. I love how simple that is. No, that's awesome. Uh, something that I know you, you really care for people well is in community. And so ever since I've known you, it's you valued community so much and whether that's getting people together, whether that's creating a place where people feel cared for, uh, can you just walk me through like what, how are you intentional about community and where did that, you know, this, this desire and love mm-hmm. for bringing community together? Where did that come from? Yeah, I appreciate from? that, dude. Um, I, I told you there's like a so we have like in our order, we have practices, true to Christ kind of people, gospel to all nations. In each of those, there's two little sub points. So in the idea of being kind to people, the way that we practice that is through justice. And so each of us kind of champion for some social justice and through hospitality. And the way that I have learned to see hospitality is it's less about, it's less about like having a nice home and being able to cook well. And more about making space in your heart for other people genuinely wanting to not not just empathize with them where you're well i guess uh, no, no, no that's not it we don't want to just pity people where you have empathy in the bad times we want we want care and hospitality in such a way that we empathize when it's good and we empathize when it's bad we're in the high of highs with them and the low of lows with them and there are very few times in life where that are truly high and truly low. So most of the time we're just in the, the ebb and flow, the, the median of life in the times where it feels like we don't really need God, but we're also like searching because we do have some need, you know, in those weird in between times that are hard to discern um, where it comes from. My parents are incredibly hospitable. Uh, my mom's whole career is like doing events that are to make people feel really cared for and seen. And she doesn't get to use Mm -hmm. her words, um, or, or her home to do that. So she puts on these events that, um, have little reminders to people that they are cared for and that they are known. And my dad, his whole career is in student life in universities. Um, and so that can, in a sense, that's hospitable because he's providing like a physical housing for people. And that's really cool. But even past that, like 
just gr- a, an example growing up for, oh, I don't even know, probably more than a decade. Uh, my dad worked at Cal State University schools that didn't have a cafeteria, a main cafeteria on campus. And they also only had community kitchens. They didn't have a kitchen in their rooms. And so my dad was like, wow, there's a big need. What if we just cooked free dinner for everybody who wanted dinner on campus? These are massive schools, right? So that quickly turned into every Monday night, we had a program called Monday Night Dinner. And we would cook food for 600, 800 hungry college students, literally, every Monday. And so that means like Sunday after church, our whole evening is is going to Costco and prepping food. And then Monday, we get home from school and just like start in on it. And by 10 p.m. that night, we're like cleaned up at home. And so from the time I was a kid, my parents modeled that really well. And they've been a, a gift to me. And they've shown me that you can use physical space, physical resources, little reminders to people that they're cared for. And those are the gateway to saying to someone with your words, I've made space in my heart for you. And I want to invite you into my life as well. And so I think that's what what hospitality really looks like to me. Mm, I love that whole idea of making space, making space in your heart. And so I have to ask, I mean, you know, we're at George Fox, we're in college, and it's been so easy to create community because it's all around you. It's been much easier than, and this is something we've talked about too, and we're both not concerned, but we're aware of is after school when we started on our job, completely new places for both of us. Neither of us have lived there. We don't have family there. How how are you thinking about creating community, <laughs> like a similar community to how we've had it in school when we're going to be working yeah. most of our I mean, week? it's going to be different, right? Um, and I've talked to you about this because I, you are just so talented at making space for others and hearing others well. Um, and and I've asked my mentors about this and I've had such various response. Like I've had people tell me like be in the world, but not of it. Like it's not a bad thing to just get a fridge full of beer and like invite people over who just are young people and want some space. I've had people say like, Hey, if you're a single person, it can be really impactful to invite couples over for dinner and like give them a space to um, like be reminded of, intentionality for one another and it gives you an opportunity to be reminded of like what companionship and intimacy looks like with other people um i've had like all sorts of just varied response but i think at the end of the day like nothing changes if we have space in our heart for others that's like a magnet people are people are looking searching I don't have a a verb that's strong enough. I don't think to to describe how fervently and zealously people desire deeply, deeply desire anybody who will make space for them in their heart. And I think that's what attracts people to God is like, we serve a God who created the universe literally and knows every hair on every person's head. He's broad but we can also show up to prayer and learn new things about him. And he will help us learn things about ourselves that we didn't know on a daily basis. So it's intimate and it's broad. And so I think that's the key to it is like, practically, I'm really scared about what that looks like. I don't really know. I'll probably try to join some sports leagues. 
get connected to a church, find people who are older than me to mentor me, find people who are younger than me that I can like serve um, and be a mentor to do that intergenerational thing. That's really important. But the day to day, I think it's just like having conversations, um, not changing much from what we're doing, but just making it known to others that, that the people of God are a caring people, that they are a hospitable people. So it's hmm. a good perspective, a really good perspective. Like you said, it's just creating space essentially. And whether that's having people over for beers, whether that's joining a league, you're actually, you know, you're taking the effort, but you're just at the end of the day, you're leaving yeah. space and you see what fills it and the people that fill it. And I think that's beautiful. So, I mean, you, you're still just, you're such, I mean, I said it earlier, but you're very grounded in your faith and you're very mature in your journey with the Lord and it's rare and it's really, really stood out to me. And it's one of the things that I really appreciate, really appreciate about you. Uh, I'm just curious. I mean, take yourself out of it and kind of speak to someone that's maybe not as far on their journey. Like, what do you feel like you learned? Like, what would you have done differently earlier in your journey in your faith and how, like, what, how have you kind of almost identified like what, what's important now than you thought was so important earlier or what, just any perspective and anything you learned from yeah. that. Dude, I can't tell you how many dumb things I like tried to do to be satisfied growing up. Like I talked about sports. That's a really big one, right? Or athletics. Like I still struggle with that of like thinking that I can fill a hole by like being athletically excellent. I think I do the same thing with work of like, man, if I get this really cool job after college or if I graduate with two degrees in four years, or if I like fill in the blank that like, man, that'll be it. That'll be like, and the, it's so bizarre because like none of it satisfies. Um, I remember pretty distinctly when I was a kid, really excited about playing football. I say kid, but I was like in high school watching an interview with Tom Brady who like this guy is like the most successful quarterback of all time. He's got by the world standards, everything like a beautiful wife, plenty of monetary wealth, like family to be with uh, good friends, you know, like, but I remember distinctly him just saying like, I can't find the thing that makes me happy. And I'm still looking. I'm still looking and I don't know what it is. And I remember like looking at the TV and being like, Tom, it's Jesus. Like that's all it is. Um, and I think that like, if I remove myself, I can still see so many of the ways that I'm the same that I still reach out for. Like I really like cars that drive fast and I really like, I don't even like, I love to play music and sometimes I think that emotionally that can tie me over. And like, there's all these little things that I would say, like I've placed some identity in. And I think the trick to it all is just saying like, not, not, you don't have to search anymore. When God says like my, my yoke is light and my burden is easy. It's not because it's not hard work. It's because it's hard work where we actually go backwards. 
there's a song by J. Cole and he says it's it's called Love Yours. It's at the end of an album called 2014 Forest Hills Drive. Love it, dude. It's a very worldly album, I'll say that, but it has some very spiritual undertones. And he says in this line, the good news is we've come a long way. The bad news is I think we went the wrong way. I think being broke was better. And then he goes on to say, I don't mean to disrespect people who are struggling monetarily, but I love that idea that our journey with Christ is not a journey upwards. We're not climbing the mountain to go see God. What we do is we build this mountain of achievements, of diplomas, of cars, of social media likes, of valuable possessions, jewelry, Xboxes, TVs, musical instruments. I don't, I don't know. It's different for everybody, right? But we build this pile of junk that we stand on and we say, Hey God, I'm getting closer to you. We build the tower of Babel in a sense. And the journey for Christ is that we walk down off that mountain of junk and we say, all right, God, I am closer to you because I have left those things behind. And so that's a freaky thing to say, all these things that I put my identity in with, I'm not going to, I'm not going to identify with those things anymore. It's just about Jesus. The vision is undeniably, obsessively, dangerously, Christ, dangerously, like it's going to be dangerous. But I think that's the key is like, we're, we're actually walking down the mountain. We're trying to get over ourselves and we're trying to recognize how much humbling ourselves and allowing Christ to invade our activities actually makes us more whole, which is, which is the irony of all of it. You know, that the Christ is countercultural and he flips it all on its head. So that's how I'd kind of frame, if I could say, if I could say anything, old people say like, read your Bible, say your prayers, all that stuff. It's like cliche. Now those reading your Bible and saying your prayers are not practices that in and of themselves are like fun or they might not even in and of themselves be the thing that's really beautiful. I think in and of themselves, they are like setting aside time with God and that helps us humble ourselves and walk down the mountain. And so I would say just like put in your time walking down the mountain and do reflection of what areas you still are trying to control in your life. And if you want to make God laugh, tell him, tell him the things that you don't want to give up or tell him the things that you would never do. And then watch the ways that he just rattles your world and does it in such a way that you wish that he had done it so much sooner. Wow. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Um, it just, you're sitting here reminding me and I mean, talking to you, you have all these spiritual disciplines. You can call them right. Prayer, Sabbath, reflection, all these things. And we've talked about this, but almost give the analogy of the body. Right. And so if you're, if you, let's say you want to have a fit body, mm-hmm like you want to be strong, like physical body, then you need to work out, Mm -hmm. right? You need to stretch. 
You need to eat right. You need to eat healthy. You need to get a lot of sleep. It's all these physical habits that lead you to, okay, this the result is, you know, a strong body or a fit body, whatever you want to call it. And the way I've thought about it and the way I hear you describe it is that that's the same thing with our relationship with the Lord. It doesn't really just happen, yeah. right? And it's through these disciplines that maybe you don't feel like doing every day, but the more you pray, the more you surround yourself in community, reflect Sabbath. It's all these things that lead together to just a strong relationship with the Lord and knowing him more. And so it just, it's beautiful. I would yeah. be really careful though, because here's the wild thing. Richard Foster celebration of discipline talks about this exact analogy. He talks about working out versus spiritual discipline. Uh, he's someone who lived in the Newburgh area has deep ties to George Fox university. Highly recommend his book. He has other works too, but that's the one that I have read more than once. Celebration of discipline. He talks about this idea that going to the gym makes you stronger. So like Lane, you're a really strong guy. You show up to the gym every morning and you know, if you eat well and you exercise, you will get stronger. That's guaranteed, right? Especially compared to someone who's going to sit on the couch and eat their potato chips and play their video games all day. Like, you know that you'll get stronger. The challenge is with God is that God doesn't care about your prayer in the sense that he doesn't care that you're checking it off the list. It talks about in the Bible, how there will be people who will say, God, look at all these wonderful things I've done for your kingdom. And they'll get to heaven and he'll say, but I never knew you. Could you imagine how heartbreaking that would be to get up there and be like, Hey God, look at all these people I converted. Look at this mega church that I pastored. Look how every day for the last eight years I've spent in the Bible and praying and God would say to you, I never knew you. All I wanted was for you to share your heart, right? So if we show up to the gym, I would say like this, your spiritual disciplines are like the act of showing up to the gym, right? Sometimes the hardest part is just getting yourself there, right? And so Getting to the gym is like the spiritual discipline. But if you stand in the gym and look at the weights, you're not going to get stronger. You can spiritually stand in the gym by reading your Bible, stand in the gym by praying. But unless you actually pick up the weights, let's go to C.S. Lewis, the weight of glory, right? Unless you, unless you, or, uh, C.S. Lewis also talks about this exact idea in uh, uh, The Great Divorce. He describes heaven as a very heavy place. Unless you pick up the burden of Christ and say, I am bearing my cross for you today. I am being vulnerable with you, Christ, and letting you examine my life and correct me. I'm going to let, Proverbs talks about like, I'm going to let people who are older and wiser than me correct me, and I'm going to implement those corrections. Unless you're bearing that weight, then you're just standing in the gym looking at the weights. You're not going to get stronger. And here's the weird thing. There are seasons of my life, and I would say any Christian who's being honest will tell you this. There are seasons in my life where I'm doing all my practices and I feel like I'm going backwards. 
I feel like I'm in one of those right now. I'm showing up every day to prayer, every day to my Bible reading fervently. I'm loving those activities. But in my heart, I feel like I am really, my positivity is really struggling. My uh, empathy for others is really struggling. I'm, I've been more selfish for the last two weeks than I'd like to admit. Um, and, and the odd thing is like, I'm in those practices. So it's weird because like, first you have to show up to the practices. That's like showing up to the gym. Then you have to engage relationally with the practices. That's like picking up the weights. Even if you do your reps though, you can do your reps all you want. And in faith, it's not guaranteed. Sometimes we have to wait on God to help strengthen us. And so I don't think anything's guaranteed in faith except for the fact that God loves you and he wants to spend eternity with you. That's the only thing that's guaranteed. Everything else, God's in control of it, but it's not guaranteed. So we serve a we serve a good God, but not a safe God in that sense. That it's it's not quite it's not quite guaranteed even if we show up and relationally lift the weights. Hmm. Thanks for sharing that because that's something that is hard to conceptualize, but you, you put it in a beautiful way. So thank you for that. Um, it's really, like you said, just because you're doing something, it, you can, it's not checking a box, which is where I think growing up in faith, I, I struggled with because I felt like the way to make it to heaven and do all these things. And I had people around me that were like this and I saw and didn't admire and didn't appreciate it was they thought that to get to heaven, you have to check a box, right? But if you're just going through the motions and you're not actually engaging and wrestling and struggling, like, you know, following Jesus isn't an easy thing, right? It's not easy at all, but struggling with that, wrestling with that, but it's just one of the most rewarding things that I've experienced that I can see in the way you talk about things. And yeah, no, that's, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. That's awesome. So Drake, this has been unreal as always. I want to wrap up here. How are you thinking about the future? We're about to graduate here. What, (laughs) what's going through your mind what's your perspective? Anything like that? Um, I'll go back to James chapter two here and say that we are like a mist in the morning. Like who am I to say I'll do business here one day and there the next, and I'll earn some money and do these things. Like, I have no clue what God's got. His plan is so good, dude, but it's so different than anything I'd expect. Most of the time he's answering my prayers, but in the exact opposite way of the, like the way I'd like him to. Um, Cause it's not always comfortable. And so when I think about the future, my goal is to strip away my preconceived notions and my expectations and just say, I'm yours, God. So right now, that means that I want to try to do nuclear engineering. And that's a way for me to steward the planet and to um, care for others and to use some gifts that God's given me in math and science. But who knows, like, if I'll be good at it, if I'll enjoy it, if that's the best way for me to honor God. So when I think about the future, it's just same thing of like the goal is just Jesus and the path he's going to take me on is really wiggly and 
there's a deep fog in front of me, so I can't really see more than one step at a time. So you see, it's kind of your North star and you're taking it by in yeah. the moment, which is such a common thread with you is what's in the moment. What's now what's present. What can I be doing, you know, in, in this, in this moment. So that's great. Um, dude, well, I, I can, I, I can't thank you enough. This has been, this has been awesome. We got so deep into your faith, which I just wanted people to hear and hear your perspective and more than anything, just how you live your life, because it's easy to have and be philosophical on all these things. And you have a great understanding of, I think, both the philosophical, but also the actionable and the practical of how this shapes the way that you live your life. So I'm just so blessed to call you a good friend and get to do life with you. And so, yeah, thank you so yeah, much. It goes both ways, dude. I just, I couldn't appreciate you more. And again, it's, it's just a beautiful thing to get to like share the, the goodness of Christ. Cause it's not us, right. It's all, it's all him in us. So yeah, I love you, dude. And I'm, I'm thankful for you each day. Totally. Same here, Drake. All right, dude. Thanks so much. Yeah, dude. And that wraps up this episode of the Grasping Life podcast. I really hope you guys enjoyed it. Feel free to subscribe for new episodes. And if you got any value out of this, feel free to share it with someone else who might as well. I would love to connect with you on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn if you search for Lane Kimbrough. And it would make me super happy if you wanted to chat about it on the phone. My number is 720-625-2905 and I'd love to hear from you. Thanks again. Until next time.